The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The latest on the vaccination front, this is CVS and Walgreens appear to get approval to give COVID-19 shots when they're ready in nursing homes. The latest on the response to the ending, potentially, of the pandemic in the next 9, 12 months. Meanwhile, 2020 Watch, what's going to happen over the weekend and a full Sunday show preview, all of that plus the latest back and forth in the fiscal saga that is the talks between the Democrats and Republicans in the White House. Lots to get through tonight. we got an all-star panel. It's Friday, folks. Doom and gloom, overcast day here in the nation's capital, but we're trucking on, right? we got a lot to be grateful for. The S&P 500 is running low on buyers in the middle of earnings season. Get this, Lou Wang and Claire Ballantyne report on the Bloomberg Terminal. Going by early returns, this earnings season is shaping up as a historical one relative to forecasts. Its impact on the market has been less memorable. And coming up, I'm going to check in with Michael Reagan, who is a senior editor and lead blogger for Bloomberg Markets, to get a full recap of uh, what happened in the markets. But did you watch the town halls last night? Did you, did you flip back and forth? I remember when I was a kid back in Delco, my dad would always, I'd sit with him on the couch at the Sunday shows and, and you know, he, we would watch the Sunday shows and, and just when someone was saying something interesting, he'd flip it and I'd say, dad, what are you doing? And he'd say, Kev, you got to get all sides of the story. So he flipped back and forth, back and forth. So we're waiting on Mario Parker to take my call, Mario, our Bloomberg White House reporter. Is he there? I am here. Mario, I was riffing. Christine Barada told me to let her riff. Uh, because we couldn't get you, and then they don't even tell me when we get them. So here we are, Mario Parker. He, it's Friday. Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter. Okay, sum it up. What was going on last night with the town halls? I thought Frank Luntz on Bloomberg Television just nailed it when he said this isn't going to move the needle. But what did we hear last night? No, we uh, we heard uh, more of the same from at least from the president's camp that uh, – the president wasn't able to deliver the type of messages that the campaign would like him to be delivering in the final stage of the campaign. Uh, for example, uh, just not denouncing QAnon for it. <laughs> it's something that the, that, that the campaign probably wished that, that it could it could have back and more emphasis on the economy and how the president's handling the coronavirus pandemic. Well, I think I think you uh, you just brought up a really good point because we actually have a soundbite from President Trump saying that he knew COVID was a big threat, but he didn't want people to panic. Let's take a listen to President Trump last night at the town hall. I knew it was a big threat. At the same time, I don't want to panic this country. I don't want to go out and say everybody's going to die. And then meanwhile, Joe Biden also on the other channel 
Uh, also, uh, went on the attack about the president's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's Joe Biden. We make up 4% of the world's population. We have 20% of the world's deaths. We're in a situation where we have 210 plus thousand people dead. And what's he doing? Nothing. It's really remarkable, Mario, just how COVID-19 and the response to it is still the driving issue of the messaging coming from both campaigns. There's really not one other issue that is really being discussed, at least at the mainstream level. Obviously, down in the battleground states, they're looking at different economic items, but it's still COVID-19 and the president's handling of it, and they haven't been able to get off that topic. No, you're absolutely right. And the president would like to pivot to um, the economy or even the uh, confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, it's the, the biggest cudgel, of course, that uh, Joe Biden is wielding. But, yeah, it does go hand in hand with uh, just some of the both the health concerns, but also just some of the economic concerns. What pollsters say is that uh, even those that are employed, feel a little bit tenuous about their position. Those unemployed, of course, uh, face more dire concerns. And so they're looking for the president to address those. Well, and just, you know, and Tyler Pager, I thought, really nailed this when he reported that uh, that uh, Warren Buffett had a phone call, not an endorsement, but a phone call with Joe Biden just the other day. And then we've got Jamie Dimon, uh, of the of J.P. Morgan uh, saying at a virtual conference earlier today, quote, Joe Biden has been around the block. He knows a lot of people. He is a compromiser, a unifier in a good way by nature. He was responding to a question, Jamie Dimon was, uh, about whether he thought the candidate uh, would pursue policies to fix issues with health care, education, economic inequality. Uh, and he says uh, that... He said that he noted that Biden was represented as a senator, a pro-business state. His words, Jamie Dimon's words. Uh, Delaware is, quote, a pro-business state, end quote. So it's been it's been really remarkable to see the markets try to factor this in. And we'll talk about that coming up. But even from an economic perspective, Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter, there's a subtle conversation happening on Wall Street that maybe Trump world doesn't really want to have happen, which is, an acceptance from the likes of Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett of uh, of Joe Biden. No, you're absolutely right in that uh, the president, one of his uh, main talking points, right, is a couple of them are how are your 401ks doing? And if um, if he's not in office, then the, the markets would uh, crash. Well, we haven't seen that happen. He's also said that um, the markets not being up as much as they could be is a hedge uh, against Biden. But again, this this this, this kind of rhetoric from the likes of Jamie Dimon, the fact that Biden held a call with Warren Buffett, that kind of undermines that messaging. So meanwhile, the virus, the number of daily COVID-19 cases continuing its steady climb as temperatures begin to dip across the United States and students, of course, return to classrooms and more people stay indoors where the virus spreads easily. So it's the virus, and I'm looking at my Bloomberg terminal right now, folks, and I've got the chart right in front of me, and they have the graphs for the Northeast, the Midwest, the South, and the West. And in in April, this was when the Northeast, all the surge had it. So, you know, our region, 
uh, all the way up to, to Boston and, and whatnot. And that, of course, was were the initial lockdowns. Back in August, I'm looking at the South. I mean, it, it just spiked while the Northeast dipped. And now you're starting to see a slow uptick in the Midwest. I mean, these are the battleground states. So you've got so many, the virus, just a resurgence happening in the Midwest. And it's, it's just really, really frightening data. No, absolutely. Uh, particularly, uh, I think the president is going to be holding a rally uh, this weekend in, in a place like Wisconsin, where they're really having a tough go at it, unfortunately. And so, again, it, it puts the coronavirus front and center in, the, di- in, the, in the, the, the dialogue when the president would like to, as he's fond to say, turn, turn, it's, we're turning the corner. Um, he would like to talk about other things. He would like to talk more about who would have the best stewardship for an economic recovery. But again, these type of cases, this resurgence in cases, is putting the coronavirus front and center, and, uh, particularly in demographics that he has to reach. All right, give us a preview of what's going to be on your radar for this weekend on the campaign trail. Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter. Well, the, as you know, because you, you covered it in 2016, Kevin, um, can the president stay on message? I mean, that was kind of the, the secret ingredient to him kind of closing the deal in 2016 was streamlining the message, being disciplined, really hitting the notes that voters wanted to, wanted him to hit as opposed to kind of veering off on tangents. So we'll be looking at uh, some of the rhetoric in his rallies, whether or not he could hit these main points, stay on these main points without kind of bringing up some of the things that uh, some of the negatives that voters. Where is he going so he's going to be in Wisconsin? Where's Biden going to be? Do we know? I do not know uh, where Biden's going to be <laughs> uh, this this weekend. What's the um, craziest? We got like a minute left. Tell, give it. What's the craziest thing that you saw this week? Empty out your notebook, Mario Parker. The craziest thing probably was last week's town hall, right? Which was like a de facto uh, debate where you had the split screen of Joe Biden. And then you had the, the, the other side with President Trump, who was kind of facing a little bit more fire. And so that was kind of that was a big deal for voters, I think, this week. Fascinating. Mario Parker, stay safe, my friend, and keep up the Thank great you, work. Too. That is Mario Parker. He is a Bloomberg White House reporter. Uh, coming up in the next hour, I've got George C. and Joel Rubin. And uh, coming up next, we're going to check in with Michael Reagan. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. 
I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for uh, Bloomberg Radio. At, in the break, we were able to find that soundbite that I that I mentioned earlier of J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon speaking earlier at a virtual conference about the prospects of fiscal stimulus as well as the political landscape. Uh, let's take a listen to Jamie Dimon speaking earlier today at a virtual conference. Here he is. I think to get out of this recession, what we need is is more fiscal stimulus, really to help small businesses and the unemployed. You know, maybe a couple of industries. It's not so. It's not monetary stimulation. It's just they need that help to get them through to April, May, June of next year. A gradual return to work. So I think we kind of need that too to stop. You know, what I said like some of the scar tissue taking place, and and that will maximize the chance that we have a better outcome. It's fascinating to hear people like Jamie Dimon uh, really give this uh, candid, candid look at, at just the need for there to be more fiscal support uh, and, and just how many people are depending upon it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told Democratic colleagues that there are still big differences with the White House over a number of components of the fiscal stimulus, even as an agreement nears on a coronavirus testing program. Meanwhile, Larry Kudlow of the White House suggested the continuing disputes show that Pelosi doesn't want compromise. He was on Fox Business uh, earlier today uh, and he said that the goalposts are moving. That's what that's according to Kudlow. So all of that's what's happening on the fiscal stimulus front. Joining us now is Michael Reagan, who is a senior editor and lead blogger for Bloomberg Markets. Michael, thrilled to have you on such a, a crucial, important day, especially when these talks are at a stalemate, but they're still talking. Um, before we get to fiscal stimulus, what happened in the markets today? Uh, today was pretty much a quiet day, Kevin, and in fact, the whole week uh, has been a quiet week. Uh, S&P closing the week up about 0.2%, uh, uh, so a little bit of a move higher, but nothing really to write home about. The S&P basically flat on the day today, and technology shares, of course, front and center of everyone's attention, a little weak today. Um, part of what kind of makes today a little tough to suss out is this options expiration, and that can cause sort of some movements in prices that are, are more reflective of what's going on in the options market rather than really what the sentiment is as far as the economy and the markets in the regular stock market. But not a lot of fireworks, which is good for an options expiration day, of course, too, you know, to see sort of a calm uh, close to the week and not sort of some wild price swings. Um, but, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the investors are focused pretty much entirely on the situation with stimulus. The read I get from most of the people I talk to and, and most of the, the notes I read is that there's maybe not a consensus, but a near consensus that, okay, we might not get it for the election. We probably won't get a deal before the election. Um, but everyone is looking forward to January. You're seeing Joe Biden's poll numbers widen out to double digits in some cases. Uh, and everyone is kind of assuming, well, if it doesn't happen, you know, while Trump is still in office, that Biden's coming in, there will be an even bigger and better plan uh, that comes along with him. To me, I, I wonder if people are a little too sanguine about that, um, because hand in hand with that is the notion that a lot of investors have come around to this idea of blue sweep, that the Democrats not only win the White House, they take the House, maintain control of the House, and they retake Well, that's where control. I want to take it. That's where I want to take it, because yeah. uh, Michael Reagan's on the line, and he's got this great story out on the Bloomberg Terminal the other week that just, I mean, 
you know, it's it's like Tom Keene always says, you read everything Reagan writes, right? And I'm talking about Michael <laughs> P. Reagan. Okay. You know, we all study up on, on former President Reagan, but but at Bloomberg we read Michael P. Reagan. Blue wave forecast as a tsunami that drowns the tech giants. And you just alluded to it. Tech had a little bit of a bumpy ride this week, but why why is the tech why why are investors uh, looking at tech as, as maybe a loser in in a blue wave? Well, there was that report that came out last week um, uh, from a, a, a committee of House uh, House Representatives yeah. staffers uh, on the Democratic side. Yeah, looking at the antitrust uh, issues with regards to big tech and this, you know, especially the big uh, internet companies, um, and it was pretty aggressive. You know, the language of that uh, it was pretty aggressive and and worrisome that a, a blue wave coming in would sort of mean a heightened scrutiny on, on technology companies. Um, so that is uh, the, the article you're referencing is an investor who took the position that this is going to be a big deal for tech. I'm not sure if that's a, a consensus uh, opinion. Um, I think people are sort of in a wait-and-see uh, approach as far as how aggressive uh, uh, Democratic-controlled White House and Congress would be towards the tech sector. I think they're more focused on this notion that a blue wave would, would bring a, a much bigger stimulus package uh, than otherwise. And to me, I wonder, you know, and Kev, you probably know the, the polling a lot better than me, but, yeah, Biden is getting, widening out in the polls uh, pretty good. But to me, I wonder if the, the notion that the Democrats will take control of the Senate is a little bit um, probably a less, probability of that than, say, you know, the probability is given to Biden winning right now. So I do wonder, you know, if investors are getting a little too aggressive, assuming that that's what we're going to see, that the Senate will be uh, retaken by the Democrats and that, uh, you know, this big, massive stimulus package is signed, sealed, and delivered right, right after uh, the election. I, I think that's where maybe the you know the the mm-hmm. rose colored glasses are a little too too thick um, because to me and again you would know better I, I'm not sure it's a you know case closed on the Senate just yet based on the the various ways the polls yeah, yeah. Bishop Shanahan alum Michael P Reagan's on the line also a graduate of the University of Delaware Shanahan Bishop Shanahan I'm a Malvern guy you know Michael. Yeah. I, I had a partial scholarship back in Malvern, so I guess uh, I guess that makes us rivals. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't remember playing you guys. You guys always played in a, a higher tier league than us. Uh, I got the interact Malvern prep though now, so I'm. Yeah. I'm uh, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow. I'll allow Malvern. <laughs> no uh, Bishop Shanahan. I, I. You know, I was looking and I thought I can't believe I got a Bishop Shanahan high guy on the. Uh, on the Bloomberg Radio Sound On. I want to go down and get a, get me a cheesesteak from my Uncle Mikey's and just call it a day. But we're not because we're focused on a Friday. I'm staying on topic. <laughs> okay. We talked about fiscal stimulus. Are you an Eagles fan? But I got to oh, get that in. Yeah, okay. Because it's a rough it's a rough year to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan. You know, it's like, where's the green wave? That's what I want to know. But the, now they're allowing 7,500 fans to go down to the link. Did you see that? They're going to do that. But, um, okay, time to get back on topic. The U.S. budget gap tripled to a record $3.1 trillion in fiscal 2020. So I, I'm looking at this, and I, and I know, you know, you're absolutely right. Everyone's talking about the prospects of a blue wave. But I, I try to look. In the longer long term, there there is a Republican fight that we're just around the corner of having, and it's going to be a, a doozy. 
Uh, and, and I think reminiscent of what you saw in the resurgence of the Tea Party and people worrying about uh, the, the, the budget gap, people worrying about the deficit. I mean, I'm just, I'm just really struck to see, uh, to see what happens on, on that front. So in the minute or so that I have left with you, what's, what, what's, what do you, what's on your radar even beyond November? Well, you know, obviously it all depends, Kevin, on how this virus progresses. I think some of the cross signals we saw in the market this week were the news out of London, where London was really cracking down on uh, basically prohibiting households from visiting each other. Uh, In Paris, you're seeing a curfew in Paris. So I think, you know, it's hard to really look too much, too far into the future when there are so many uh, questions about the virus and when the vaccine is right. going to be available and all that. So um, I think we got to get over that hump before we can really make, you know, look too far into the future. All right, Michael P. Reagan. Hey, thank you so much. Seriously, Michael, thank you so much for uh, for making time for me on a Friday. He is, of course, our senior editor and lead blogger for Bloomberg Markets, and really no one does it better in terms of uh, – just understanding the the intersection of the conversations that we have down here with our panelists and and how that's impacting uh, the investor side of things. Coming up, the panel joins me, George C. and Joel Rubin. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Town halls are yesterday's news. We're spinning it forward for the race up to the Nashville presidential debate. All of that has ongoing talks between Speaker Pelosi and Secretary Mnuchin and what's going on in the markets. Lots to get through. I want to start off with what we saw last night in those dueling split screens town hall. And really what the driving conversation still remains, still remains is the reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. So before we get into some of the sound, uh, I want to dive into my Bloomberg terminal for a second because we've got the tracking uh, from the COVID tracking project data. Of course, Hopkins, John Hopkins University and whatnot, all the great medical research being done there. And it, it, it shows folks over or since March, the four areas of the country, the Northeast, the Midwest, the South and the West and the trajectory of the number of cases in each part of the country. So the Northeast peaked, spiked in April, and then it's it's declined really ever since. There's been a slight uptick in the past several weeks. But I've really got my eye on the Midwest and the South because the number of cases is far outpacing the West and the Northeast. 
and it's continuing to spike up at a trajectory that is more steep than what we're seeing in the Northeast. Reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, the number of daily COVID-19 cases is continuing its steady climb as temperatures begin to dip across the U.S. And while far fewer people are ending up hospitalized with the illness than during the pandemic surge in March and April, many more deaths are expected to be added to the almost 218,000 already reported nationally as cases spike. This is the number that's on my radar. Nationally, seven-day moving case averages have climbed to their highest in two months, while the number of currently hospitalized COVID-19 patients was the most since August 27th. So with that as the intro, let's go back to last night at the two competing town halls, where President Trump says that he knew COVID was a big threat, but he didn't want the public to panic. Here he is. I knew it was a big threat. At the same time, I don't want to panic this country. I don't want to go out and say everybody's going to die. Then Joe Biden on the other channel uh, also said that, that the president has not done enough, has not done enough with regards to COVID-19. Here's Joe Biden. We make up 4% of the world's population. We have 20% of the world's deaths. We're in a situation where we have 210 plus thousand people dead. And what's he doing? Nothing. That was Joe Biden. Joel Rubin is the executive director of the American Jewish Co uh, uh, Congress and former deputy assistant secretary for legislative affairs at the State Department in the Obama administration. And George C. is CEO of Annandale Capital, a Texas businessman and a former senior advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. George, I mean, are you disappointed that the president still can't get out in front of this COVID response handling? No, I'm really not, Kevin. I, I think that there'd be a lot of finger pointing no matter who was trying to cage this ornery virus tiger. And I, I think we're going to be dealing with it for many, many months beyond this right now. So I think it's kind of an intractable tar baby issue for Trump and anybody. And I actually think last night was interesting in that there, there was basically a debate between the NBC moderator and Trump. And I think that actually helps Trump because when you see the media is completely adversarial to Trump. And then you have all these articles today that came out talking about how great it was that Savannah Guthrie took him on so heavily. It, it's all this self-congratulatory talk that most Americans kind of shrug at and look like, boy, if everybody's against this guy, can he be all that bad? Or are they trying to paint a narrative that I have to buy into that I don't want to? So I think Trump's still way behind and, and it does not look good right now, but it didn't look good in 2016 either. And I, I don't know how the swing states are going to fall. And I think people are counting him out a little too early. George C is with us, you know, and, and, and look, George, I mean, you and I have talked, I mean, you know, I, I, you, what you're doing is, is describing the conservative frustration at institutions of all different kinds, you know, media institutions, financial institutions, political institutions. And, and, you know, Listen, when I talk to, to Trump supporters, that's exactly what they say. And, and so I, I, I think that it's, it's difficult sometimes for, for media institutions to fully grasp that. Joel Rubin, your take. Well, Kevin, I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic and we've got a president who denies that he can do anything about it. And I, I think that that's what was really frustrating for viewers watching last night who are worried, like I am, with three kids at home, for example, who can't go to school, about what's the plan to get us back? What's the plan to get our economy going? What's the plan to uh, keep the hotspots down? And, and there is none. 
Instead, the president is flying around in super spreader events and not taking responsibility for his actions. And so I, I think that's why we saw the commentary about Savannah Guthrie pushing, because it seems like the president lives in, in a bit of a, a media-free bubble, except for the ones he wants to talk to. And to actually be confronted by an intelligent female reporter put him in a position where he had to explain himself, and, and he couldn't. And that's what's so scary about this moment. And I think that's why we're seeing Joe Biden. And, and obviously the ratings bored us out because Joe Biden overwhelmed Donald Trump in the Nielsen ratings. We're seeing people wanting real factual ideas about how to move the country forward and out of the pandemic. And that's just what they get with Biden. It was uh, just you mentioned the ratings. Let me open Variety. Hold on. Here it is. Let me get it on my terminal. Variety, you know, they all, that's what they read out in L.A., I guess, all the... Los Angeles people, I don't know. You know, I, I oh, could make it in Hollywood, work. right? Uh, Biden averaged 14.1 million total viewers on the Disney-owned network, uh, ABC. Trump brought in 13.5 across NBC, MSNBC, and CNBC uh, combined. In terms of the two cablers, MSNBC. Uh, so, I mean, Joel, I'm going to call your bluff a little. I'd call it a draw. 14.1. Cuz I mean, what is it? 600,000 people and people are flipping back and forth on the channel. I mean, for, it was kind of confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like it's not like when you yeah. got to watch a football game and you need like two different screen and monitors to, to to watch the things or or like when I was a kid, my dad would always have me flip back and forth. I'd be like 7 years old, I trying to watch Tim Russell to meet the press and then he's flipping across the channel. I said, "I'm just starting to learn something, dad." And he's saying, "You got to get all sides of the story. You got to get no. all sides of the story." Go ahead, Joel. No, well, well, Kevin, you can only imagine if the numbers are in reverse, Donald Trump would be around parading today how he won the ratings war and he knows very well that he's a loser at the box office that the American people are getting tired of his uh, 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 inability to explain basic concepts of how to move the country out of the pandemic. Right, we're going to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about the economy coming up. I, I'm, I'm excited to, but I, the only thing is to your point, though, and I, I, I agree, it's not like he outpaced him two to one, but my goodness, you know, Joe Biden for 90 minutes, Donald Trump for 60 minutes, pure policy versus pure um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, just, that's uh, in the eye of the beholder. Uncertainty. George. I will take it. It's a win is a win. George, did you watch all the Sunday shows when you were a kid, George C? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kind of tired of all the, the talking heads. I, I think the American people are going to decide this election, and I've got a lot of confidence in what their verdict will be. And I, I really right. think that there are excellent points being made on COVID. I think if the conversation between, between now and Election Day... It's Friday. It's Friday. We got to loosen up. We got to loosen up a little. George and Joel, come on. We got to talk stimulus. We're going to loosen up. We got the panel staying. It's Friday. It's overcast in in D.C. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Stocks were mixed as giant technology companies dropped amid Friday's expiration of equity options, tempering optimism with better-than-estimated economic data. The dollar fell. The S&P 500 closed little changed while still notching its longest weekly advance since August. 
and the Nasdaq 100 fell. Amazon slumped as Citigroup said its statement on a recent sales event lacked the usual biggest day ever notation. Uh, so that's what went on in the markets. Meanwhile, Jamie Dimon, Jamie Dimon was speaking uh, earlier today at a virtual conference, and we actually have a little bit of it. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. Uh, take a listen to what he had to say about the need for fiscal stimulus. Here's Jamie Dimon. I think to get out of this recession, what we need is is more fiscal stimulus, really to help small businesses and the unemployed. You know, maybe a couple industries. It's not so. It's not monetary stimulus. It's just they need that help to get them through to April, May, June of next year. A gradual return to work. So I think we kind of need that too to stop. You know, I said like some of the scar tissue taking place, and and that will maximize the chance that we have a better outcome. I'm so thrilled to bring back in our pattern, Joel Ru pa panel. Joel Rubin is the executive director of the American Jewish Congress. Uh, congrats on the new gig, and we'll, we'll talk about that coming up, Joel. He's also the former deputy assistant secretary for legislative affairs at the Obama State Department. So he really can offer a geopolitical global look on things. And George C., of course, the CEO of Annandale Capital. He's a Texas businessman um, and a former senior advisor to Marco Rubio. So, George, let's start with you. I mean, you, he you heard right there from Mr. Diamond, which is the need for more fiscal stimulus. I, I want to remove the politics for a second and and just when you're talking to your clients when you're talking to the business community down in the great state of texas i mean are they anxious are they nervous about the lack of of additional fiscal support that's coming and and, and i don't think they're they're blaming one party i think they're blaming the whole town george no i'm not really hearing that we've already had trillions of dollars of stimulus and yes we definitely would like some more but i think it's very clear that the republicans have said We'd like somewhere between $500 billion and a trillion five of stimulus, but we're really worried about the debt and the deficit, and we want to keep it somewhat limited until we see how the economy does, and the Democrats want way more than we can afford it. But most of the talk down here, Kevin, is not about stimulus. It's about the Biden administration wanting to almost double the capital gains tax and raise yeah. the corporate tax rate almost 40 percent, and that will be horrible for the economy. It's very clear which party is better for business. And I think that the election may come down to whether people are focused on COVID or, or business, with business being the antidote and the, the, the thing that pulls us out of COVID eventually. And if we shut down again or we don't have pro-business policies going into next year, it's going to be really hard to come out of it. So, so much of the conversations that I have with my colleagues, Jonathan Farrow, Lisa Bramowitz, and Tom Keene uh, uh, over on Bloomberg Surveillance is, is just how investors are starting to price in uh, the prospects of what a Democratic Washington, D.C. in January 2021 would mean uh, for all of these different issues. And from the investor side of perspective, they will turn any outcome into a victory, right? I mean, if a there's a Republican hold, it'll be deregulation, and so that will be a win. But if it's Democrats' control, then, George, it will be, well, there's more fiscal stimulus. So, yes, there might be an increase in taxes, but there'll be more government spending, which would be good for infrastructure. I mean, can you square that circle for me? Yeah, sure. I can tell you that the, the false narrative of it's all going to be copacetic if the Democrats control everything is Wall Street trying to cozy up to a potential Biden administration and, and engaging in magical thinking because much higher taxes, much higher regulation and anti-business policies will not be good for the country or the economy. I think most people in the business community, especially on Main Street, would love to see split government, whether that's Trump with the uh, House kind of holding him back or whether it's Biden with the Republicans cont continuing to hold the Senate. I think most people view that the, the less Washington does, the better.
And if the Democrats control everything, I think this can be really bad for the economy. And we might get a, a short-term magical thinking stock market rally in, in terms of the sugar high you'll get for more stimulus, but that'll fade. And the, the anti, anti-business tax policies will, will drag down the economy. So I don't think that's a good thing. I think most people would want divided government. Really, really fascinating. Of course, that's George C. He is the chairman of Annandale Capital. He's also the chairman of the Texas-Israel Alliance. Joel Rubin, I mean, just to go geopolitical for a second, uh, in terms of, of where the global economy and America's place in the recovery from this pandemic, you know, the only economy in the world that is expected to grow this year is China. I mean, and, and even from, from a data perspective, mm-hmm. uh, the the contraction of the United States is still a smaller contraction than most of our allies. I mean, so so from that perspective, I know we're in political season. I know we're yeah, in a polarizing yeah. time, but we've got to be able to see the forest from the trees. And so I guess regardless of the outcome of the November elections, put it in perspective about America's role, Joel Rubin, uh, in terms of the global recovery uh, moving forward. Yeah, Kevin, look, I, I, I really appreciate the way you framed it because we are disconnecting currently from the global economic infrastructure that has made America the wealthiest, most prosperous nation in the history of the planet. And it's, it's deeply distressing because it will make it that much harder for us to climb out of this hole that we're in. And, and in a recession near depression, which is what we're in, you got to spend your way out of it. Jamie Dimon says it. Jerome Powell says it. The Congress and the president agreed months ago on doing that to keep us from going over the cliff. And we need we need to we need to really take care of our people. I, I, I'm sorry, with all due respect to George, uh, people are suffering right now. They're on the verge of getting kicked out of their homes. There's no unemployment insurance flowing, and uh, this is this is dangerous for us. And then, so how do we go to to the global recovery uh, when we're we're frankly disconnecting uh, on, on trade when we uh, are you know clearly not engaging in the multilateral institutions anymore for recovery programs potentially? Uh, it, it, it it is not clear to me what the plan is to reinvigorate the American economy and the global economy post-pandemic. All right, coming up, we're going to talk more uh, with our panel. We're going to go back uh, to uh, politics and as well as more fiscal stimulus. The two complete all-stars, really, they just really know these issues inside and out. Inside and out. George C. and... uh, and Joel Rubin. Uh, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Uh, and we're going to head to Capitol Hill as well. That's coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for uh, Bloomberg Radio. Olivia Rockman on the Bloomberg Terminal. U.S. manufacturing production unexpectedly declined in September, the first decrease in five months, pointing to a setback for factories as the pandemic drags on. The 0.3% drop in output at factories followed an upwardly revised 1.2% gain in August, according to Federal Reserve data that was released earlier today. Economists have predicted a 0.6% increase, according to a survey of Bloomberg economists. Uh, Joining us for the panel, we've got Joel Rubin, Executive Director of the American Jewish Congress. Joel, congrats on the new gig. What are you going to be doing? I really appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you so much. And uh, it, it's a, it's just a, an amazing opportunity to help shape the Jewish Jewish community uh, voice for tomorrow. We are a century-old organization uh, founded by Louis Brandeis, who became a Supreme Court justice, and have been at the forefront of civil rights in America, uh, at, at promoting peace and dialogue and support for Israel and the Jewish community here. And so it, it's an opportunity to really... Uh, engage within the community and without to try to promote the ideals of uh, Jewish ideals of of, uh, of promoting peace and security and Tikkun Olam. And uh, I, I'm fe- feeling very fortunate to be part of it. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking to you uh, quite frequently, over, as we always do, Joel Rubin. George, I didn't realize you were the chairman of the Texas-Israel Chamber of Commerce. Tell us about your work on that. Yeah, sure. That's a great uh, segue. I'm, I'm also chairman of the Clement Center for National Security, right. and I work for Secretary Secretary Lawrence Eagleburger in the Bush 41 administration. So I'm very on top of geopolitics and economic considerations like Joel is. And I I think that in terms of peace, what Trump did in moving the U.S. uh, embassy to Jerusalem and getting the UAE and Bahrain to recognize Israel is historic. And it's it's very good for peace and cooperation in the Middle East. And I hope Saudi Arabia and others follow suit real quickly. And I just want to echo what Joel said. I, I totally agree. Uh, I don't disagree to characterize my my um, position correctly, that we do need more stimulus. I think the question is, is, is your, as your news reporter said just about five minutes ago, that we're, we're $3 trillion in deficit this year. And you can't spend like a drunken sailor like Pelosi and the Democrats want to. I think $500 billion to about a trillion five to people who need it the most makes a lot of sense. But you go higher than that, it doesn't make sense. It's bad for the country. George, you but, know, but I, if, I, if I can add, I mean, we were heading into trillion-dollar deficit territory before the coronavirus, and that was President Trump's tax policy. And President Obama. And no, President no. Obama. Let's get our facts. Really? Hold on, George. No, George and Joe, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. No, no, no. Flag on the play. Flag on the play. Can I talk? Can I talk? Not true, sir. All right. Can I talk? Can I talk? Sure. It's Friday. Oh, I feel like I'm back in Delco, where I've got mom and dad debating politics. Chicky's quoting Maureen Dowd. Chicky's quoting Maureen Dowd. Nikki's quoting Rush Limbaugh. I mean, come on, folks. Jeez. All right. No, listen. But I think with George, because I don't want to do the crossfire thing. It's really not the direction I want to go in. Trust me. I don't like it either. No, yeah, but here's what I do. I want to be analytical about this, right? Because I think what George, what George C., the CEO of Annandell Capital, just tapped into is a fight that is going to emerge regardless of the outcome in yeah. November, which is there are many 
prominent Republicans who are incredibly, incredibly wary of all of this government spending and the impact that it's having on businesses not being able to hire. That is, I think, in the long term, a conversation that will that we will be having in the lead up of the of of any 2024 presidential primary. And regardless of the outcome in in, in November, it's going to be an open Republican primary in 2024. So I actually think what George just tapped into is spot on in terms of the political wins of the long term. And sometimes, and I said it once earlier, we've got to be able to see the forest from the trees, even in these heightened politicized time. All right. I will say that now it's time. A good break. <laughs> I try, you know, I, I, I try. It's time now for my favorite part of the show, which is what is on the panel's radar. George C., what's on your radar? My, on my radar is getting our country back on the right track. And I, I think that that's, that's a completely non-political, non-partisan goal. And we've got to get through the pandemic and we've got to get effective treatments and, and a vaccine both. And we've got to have pro-business policies going forward. And I, I was just trying to point out earlier in terms of being objective and factual. And if you really get down to it, back to the debt, Kevin, yeah. the last three presidents we've all had, Bush, Obama, and Trump, have all spent like drunken sailors. And it's, it's got to yeah. stop at some point because we're going to spend ourselves in, into a default on the debt at some point, especially with entitlements rearing. So we're going to have to have really sober, sound thinking on government spending, growing the economy, and trying to balance our revenues and, and expenditures, which we, we have been unable to do since the George H. W. Bush tax agreement with George Mitchell and the Democrats, which resulted in a surplus during the Clinton years. And we got a long, hard road ahead of us to get back to that and get our, comp- our country on more stable footing. And George, you know, when I speak to people like Keith Crock at the State Department uh, and, and just all the work they're doing in terms of 5G, and, and just globally trying to bring about uh, just an, an alliance of sorts in terms of international technology and whatnot. I mean, all of these conversations uh, are, are factored into it. And so I, it, it's going to be remarkable. There just has to be, as, as, as we all know, there has to be a, an ability to have those conversations. And so I, I think you're spot on in terms of reading the, the political uh, tea leaves of what's going to happen in January 2021. Because like I said, folks, I mean, play the long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Joel Rubin, what's on your radar? Well, I, I am definitely going to agree with George on we need to make sure we get our house in order. I think we're going to disagree on how we get there, but I appreciate the, the point about the nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and I think there's something that popped up again last night that we should all be able to agree on, which is that hate speech and conspiracy theories need to be blocked from our political dialogue. And uh, last night the president talked about QAnon, and didn't denounce it, and it is essentially, as a Jewish American, it's reminiscent of blood libels, and even the FBI is calling it uh, essentially in the the hate speech realm, and and there's a lot of concern about where hate is heading in this country and conspiracy theory, and and, and that's high on my radar because uh, we're seeing many candidates for Congress now mirroring the language the president used last night on QAnon, and we may get one or two of them in Congress, which is going to be very controversial and very difficult, but we're going to have to stand up to it. Um, another thing that's on my radar is that uh, Speaker Pelosi might actually be leaning on President Trump to lean on, follow me, to lean on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to get to some type of fiscal stimulus deal. I actually think, to George C.'s point of Annandale Capital, and then i got to let the panel go, and they've been so generous with their time and their insights uh, on a Friday afternoon and evening— uh, 
is just the relationship between President Trump and Leader McConnell. I'm going to be fascinated to see that, especially if it happens in a lame duck session, whether or not uh, the price tag on the uh, fiscal stimulus front increases or decreases, dependent on that. My thanks to Joel Rubin. My thanks to George C. Uh, he is, of course, the CEO of Annandale Capital. Uh, appreciate both of your time, gentlemen, uh, on a Friday. Coming up next, we check in with Congressman Brendan Boyle, a Democrat from uh, Pennsylvania. So we will talk to the Philadelphia Eagles with Congressman Boyle. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, joining us on the line, Congressman Brendan Boyle, who is, of course, a Democrat from the great state of Pennsylvania, battleground state. Congressman Boyle, how are you? Hey, great to be back with you, Kevin. Should we get rid of Carson Wentz? <laughs> I, I'm glad you're going right to the most important, uh, most controversial issue, uh, as opposed to you know the secondary issue of the the presidential campaign. I'm going to take a lot of grief uh, for this, but I am still sticking with Carson. Why? Um, this is, I know it's time look, we, to move on. I don't think it's time to move on. I mean, I, I look the decision with Carson over Nick Foles, whether that was right or not. The fact is. We can't do that over. We, we stuck with Carson. We traded up for him. We know what he's been capable of in a couple seasons now, and I think he's our best bet to just see. I just, I just have I just have such vibes of Donovan McNabb, and you know what? Oh. McNabb never won a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. I got, I got to go there because it just drives That's... me absolutely insane, Congressman. It drives me insane. Listen, I still have the, the number five Eagles jersey my wife bought me, and I, I look at it sometimes and get a chuckle. You know, the great thing about Donovan McNabb, though, whenever you needed someone to throw that ba- bounce pass at a wide receiver's <laughs> ankles, that McNabb was there. So I know. I was always more of a Terrell Owens fan, and I think that says a lot about me, and Anthony Mancini would understand. I'm like T.O., Bloomberg. Okay, uh, back to the issues that matter. Uh, battleground State. Battleground State. Pennsylvania, what are you noticing there on the ground? Yeah, so first, I mean, our, our hometown bias aside, that there is no plausible mask that gets either Donald Trump or Joe Biden to 270 without Pennsylvania's 20. I mean, we really are the keystone of, of this election. Um, you know, I would say back in late August, uh, this was probably about a six-point race nationally and maybe four or five in Pennsylvania. Since then, things have really moved Biden's way. I, I think both nationally and in PA, we're about two or three points better than we were, we were then. So um, I, I still think that it's closer in Pennsylvania than what you're seeing in some of those national, um, you know, popular you vote uh, sort of uh, polls, like the real clear average has it at 10 points. That's not a 10-point race in Pennsylvania. But that said, 
there is no question that Joe Biden is is leading right now and outside the margin of error. Okay, Congressman Brendan Boyle's on the line. He represents Pennsylvania's 2nd Congressional District. He's a Democrat. He is also a member of uh, the House Committee on the Budget as well as the House Committee on Ways and Means. And I want to talk to you about about these important budgetary issues. I mean, are you frustrated? I, I don't. Here's what I don't want because I've heard it all week and it's Friday, so I'm being very candid. I understand that that Democrats in the House passed a massive uh, a, a government stimulus bill, three trillion plus, several months ago. I understand that it's going nowhere in the Senate. But take me into the rank and file member world. Is there frustration from the centrists that? there isn't an ability to get to a compromise, or is that an over-exaggeration in the media? Well, there's, there's an important step that, that you missed there, though. Yes, it is true that on May 15th, we passed the original HEROES Act, $3.4 trillion. Since then, though, we actually passed another bill. Uh, the, that was at $2.2 trillion. That was just a few weeks ago. And the idea how it came to be $2.2, the idea was, well, look, the last McConnell Senate Republican figure was $1 trillion. Our original bill months ago was 3.4, or no, excuse me, I'm I'm messing up the math myself here. um, It's okay, I stink at math. So so the original, you can see why I'm in politics. Um, (laughs) You can see why I'm in journalism. (laughs) And we both want to do sports radio. That's all um, I ever wanted. The, the the median point between three point four trillion, which is our original bill, and the one trillion which the Senate Republicans have thrown out there, is two point two trillion. That is literally meeting you halfway. So we went and passed what I think we're calling the Heroes Act two point which is at two point two trillion dollars. It's literally attempting to bridge the gap right in the middle. And so if if the Senate Republicans or the White House don't want to do the Heroes Act that we passed months ago, Fine. All they have to do is pick up the bill we just passed a couple weeks ago. It's at $2.2 trillion. Trump, uh, either in an interview or on Twitter, said that he wanted to go bigger and bolder than the $1.8 trillion. But there's literally legislation sitting right there. I do think, though, and I think this part has been missed over the last week in the media, I don't actually think the biggest stumbling block is the House Democratic leadership or the caucus. I don't think the biggest stumbling block is Mnuchin or the White House. The biggest stumbling block is really Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans. In their heart of hearts, they do not want to do another stimulus bill. And I think that has been clear over the last several months. That's really where the biggest problem is. Okay, so I grew up in Delco, Congressman, as you know. And, and right. you know, and, and what are they saying at Barnaby's? I've been able to go home because of the pandemic. But what are they saying in terms of fiscal stimulus? Because you are there are parts of your district, it's a, it's a blue district, but there are parts, as you know, you go down to the refineries and whatnot, where, where there are uh, Republican supporters and, and no, Democrats, no, no. and it's swing. And, and, but, but so what, are, what, what is Washington missing from the conversation at Barnaby's? Yeah, so like Northeast Philadelphia is, is a lot like, say, Upper Darby and Delco, yeah. blue collar. It's, it's, it's where I live, where I grew up. When I was a state rep, I won what had always been a Republican state rep district. There was a Republican machine in my area the same way there was for, for generations in, in Delco. Um, so even though I have very Democratic parts of my district, I also have very 50-50 and even yeah. lean Republican areas. But I will tell you, though, whether it's a very blue area or a more purplish area, there's just a lot of frustration and, and a lot of pain out there. Um, the fact that months ago we didn't get this resolved is enormously frustrating. I mean, I take Amtrak uh, back and forth every week, um, or at least a couple times a week, to get from my home in Philly 
down to D.C. There yeah. are Amtrak workers who I'm friends with, including two who are constituents, who've gotten layoff notices. Um, there are people on my block who are being affected by this. Um, teachers like my wife who are about to pull their hair out because of the lack of support for them, even though they're now doing twice as much work in a hybrid or virtual education model. So there's just a lot of frustration out there and a lot of pain, too, because, you know, if you're in the knowledge economy, you're still largely working. Um, you haven't been affected that much. If you were a, a waitress, if you were a hotel worker, if you're mm-hmm. in the enta- entertainment industry, Refineries. forget recession, forget recession. Forget depression. This is zero. I I mean, you're not working at all. So this is probably the most unique economic downturn in American history because it's not affecting everybody equally. It's just that's very well said. I mean, and that's something that Republicans and Democrats uh, can can all agree with. I only have a minute left with you. So very, very quickly. Uh, Toomey's out. He's not running for Senate in 2022. Do you want the Senate seat? You're going to run? (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know. I am after this election. Uh, I am obviously going to consider it. I've had a number of people reach out and encourage me to, to run, but I do believe in one election at a time. Um, obviously, just because of family considerations as well and with a small child, oh. you know, a statewide race is, is a lot. So um, How I know we'll be talking now? about it over the holidays. How she is the... six. Six. She is six, Fun and age. she was born about a month and a half uh, or a few months before I won my race in, in 2014. So time does fly. Time does fly. All right. And then the final question, Eagles, Ravens, who's your pick? Uh, uh, I'm going to go with my heart over my head on this one. And <laughs> I'm going to take the Eagles. Um, you know, it's it's a crazy year. They have been really poor at the beginning. But I, I feel like last week, even in defeat, they, they might have turned a corner and playing an excellent Oh, I don't feel team. that way at all. So, I, see, this, there's... Well, I you are th- so depressing, oh, man. You I, are. I, I don't, you know, I, I listen to Angelo every morning getting ready for work, and I, oh. I'm just totally on that bandwagon. All right. Thank you, my friend, uh, Congressman Brendan Boyle, uh, Democrat from Philly. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Cerulli. Have a great weekend, everybody. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.